Well, good day, folks. Today we're joined by Guy Leach. He's a world-class Ironman and surf ski champion as well. Seven times he won the Uncle Toby Super Series back in the day. Two times he was a Cool and Gather Gold champion. He's been saving lives in the water for many years. Now he's saving lives out of the water as the CEO and founder of Heart 180. Let's find out more about that. Plus much more on Legends with Bevo. Welcome to Legends with Bevo. Thanks to the Holdy, Coopers, Anytime Fitness Clonell, and Paradise Mazda. And now, here's your host, Bevo. Great, Leach. Great to have you on Legends with Bevo. Now, as I mentioned before, you're the CEO and founder of Heart 180, which is a very important program. Um, unfortunately, you started this because of a, a loss with a close friend of yours. Tell us more about it, mate. Yeah, so, um, it, it, you know, life's a funny thing. I, I, you know, I've had a journey through, you know, swimming and Ironman and, and, and fitness fitness businesses over the years. And, and it was sort of four years ago that um, that uh, like my sort of on a given day changed my, my journey of what I was doing. And um, so for the past 18 years, I've been taking training groups around Sydney, around the Northern beaches. And, um, and, and on this given morning was no different to any other day where we, we go out and paddle and, and do, do sort of exercises on the beach and all that sort of thing. And we had 25, 25 predominantly blokes there doing this session. And at the back end of the session, one of my best mates who was training in that group uh, suffered a sudden cardiac arrest and, and dropped. And um, as it turned out, I ended up um, on his chest trying to bring him back doing resuscitation. We uh, rang triple O. Um, you know, went through the whole process like I did when I was in the surf club uh, many years ago, trying to save people's lives down the beach. And um, unbeknownst to me, I needed a defibrillator to to bring him back to kickstart his heart over, which I, I didn't know. And uh, he didn't make it. So my journey with a business called Heart 180 um, basically was born out of losing one of my best mates and um, and learning all about what could have been had I had I been educated to the fact and and that was that um, sudden cardiac arrest is the biggest killer in Australia it kills nearly a hundred people today it will get a kid under the age of 10 teenagers fit people right through to the elderly and um, it, it's an electrical issue with the heart which is what my mate Chucky had and pumping the chest and ringing triple O isn't enough um, you need to have a defib um, on hand, you need to be able to get the pads on the patient. You need to have the defib do its thing and put a shock through the body. And that shock through the body, if you can get those pads on the patient quick enough, um, most times will kickstart the heart over and the person comes back to life. So for me, it's been, um, uh, you know, it's been a, a tragedy that sort of changed the course of what I do and made I do that full time now. So I, I educate people to what I'm telling you right now. And uh, I distribute to fit defibrillators all around Australia. We do that every day. We've got a team that uh, cover the whole country. And, you know, most importantly, we, uh, we save lives, which is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Again, uh, my condolences go out to you for what happened with your friend, mate, but well done on you. everything you're doing with Heart 180. Cause like I said, it's such an important, Thing going forward um and how you know how do people get involved in this guy and, and you know what can we do here in south australia to get these around all the clubs and not just sporting clubs just everywhere really workplaces you know yeah well look i mean the, i think the first thing is you know from my point of view is 
you know, trying to educate people. So doing podcasts like, like this one with you is really important. I think, um, you know, from what I've seen the last four years, people just don't know um, the situation. They don't understand that, that you, that the biggest killer in this country has a solution. Um, and the solution is a defibrillator. It costs, you know, around $2,000. Um, and you know, it's, it's the difference between life and death. And so, so getting those facts out there firstly is really important. And then off the back of that, letting people know that these things are simple to use, you know, with, with, a, with a, an online training course that we provide with a device, you can, um, save your mate's life, save your family member's life, whatever it is. And, um, you know, that's the first thing. And then, and then off the back of that, you, you just go to my website, which is heart180.com.au. All the information's there. You can contact me or one of the team members and you can get a DP that suits you really, really quickly and easily. So, uh, you know, that, that's as simple as what it is. And um, when you sort of say, you know, clubs and gyms and the like, yeah, they all need them. And we sell to people in homes, people that have boats, caravans, to schools, gyms, local businesses, you name it. And, um, you know, the success rate of survival on the streets of Australia for this is around 6%. So if you have a cardiac arrest, someone rings triple O, then your survival rate's around 6%. Yeah. Where DFibs were invented back in Seattle 70 years ago because of the education programs that they've run and the amount of DFibs that are out there in the community, the survival rate over in Seattle is 65%. So it's my goal to to make sure there's enough defibs out there in Australia so that if someone suffers a cardiac arrest, then we have a defib within 180 seconds of that individual. And if that's the case, and they get the pads on the patient within 180 seconds, then the, the patient's got up to a, um, up to 90% chance of survival. So, you know, you ring triple O, it's 6%, um, but if you've got a device, you get them on the patient, um, up to 90% chance of living. So it's, it, look, it's a massive undertaking. It, you know, we're in a big country here. There's a, a you know, big vast population that we've got, but you know what, that's the goal. And um, you know, when you start talking about nearly a hundred people today losing their life, then um, you know, it, it's a good cause. It's one that I, you know, I hope the, the rest of the country embraces and we need to get a lot more of these devices out there. Yeah. Well done. And I, Hopefully, um, well, I'll certainly be sharing this around and hopefully we can spread the word and get it out there as much as we can by, because like I said, it's such an important thing you're doing. So, um, yeah, well done. And in terms of uh, COVID-19, I saw on your Instagram the other day, mate, you've been keeping busy doing some surf skiing. Uh, what else have you been up to? Yeah, look, I, I do. Um, I've got a good lifestyle around the northern beaches in Sydney where I live. Um, you know, we paddle, you know, we paddle most days of the week. So that's sort of my predominant sort of fitness activity that I do and, you know, the groups that I've got, you know, keep it interesting and keeps me motivated. But I, I love my golf as well. I, I sort of come from that, you know, sporting background and high performance of performance, you know, that I'm used to and trying to get better and the like. And, you know, I can't, I suppose, replicate the running and the swimming and the paddling like I was 25 years ago. Um, I'm still in good nick and, Still, I'd like to think I still go pretty quickly in what I do, but um, golf's sort of taken over that that level of being able to measure myself against a handicap and you know be able to go out and practice and 
and, and put that to the test. So I, I do like that. I like the competitive side of, um, you know, having something to aim at. So, you know, I, I do try to get out, you know, as much as I can and hit balls and, and practice. And I've got a, a good bunch of friends that I get to compete against. So, you know, that that's fun. And, mate, between that and the family and, and, and the defibs, you know, it takes up most of my week. So, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. And, and your journey uh, with surf, surf lifesaving, um, you know, you've always enjoyed saving people's lives and then you got into the Uncle Toby Super Series and had some great battles with Trevor Hendy over the years. And I was a huge fan mm-hmm. growing up, mate. I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, talk us through your journey and how you got into doing the Uncle Toby Super Series. My, my, um, I started, I was a swimmer and I was trying to go to the Olympics um, when I was a kid. And uh, at, at, you know, different stages of, um, you know, from nine years of age to 17, I was ranked number one in the country for my age in a few events. And, uh, and I represented Australia as an age group swimmer. Um, missed the Olympics when I was 16 in, in a couple of events, just narrowly. Um, and then had that four year sort of, you know, wait to the next Olympic Games when I was 20, which was probably going to be around where I was, I was going to peak. Um, but funny enough, I was at home one evening watching television after dinner and made a Kellogg's Nutri-Grain ad popped up and Grant Kenny was there, you know, doing his thing in the TV commercial. And I, I got super excited about that. And mate, I was just about to turn 17 when that happened. And I joined the local surf club at Manly um, you know, in Sydney. And then before you know it, there was, um, you know, a race popped up, a poster popped up at the Cirque Club promoting this race called The Cooling Out of Gold. It was all about a movie and it was $20,000 in gold on first place. And I rocked up to the Gold Coast having done sort of, you know, nine months of training for that event as, a, as an 18-year-old, won the race. Um, it got a huge publicity, this thing, picked up 20 grand's worth of gold. And, mate, before you knew it, I was competing on a national series around the country, racing Grant Kenny, racing the guy that I saw on television just um, just over a year earlier. And mate, the rest was history. And that was the next 15 years of my life. And, um, you know, the likes of the Mercer brothers and, and Trevor Hendy and Guy Andrews and, and Craig Riddington all popped up during those times, Guy Andrews as well, and, you know, a bunch of other athletes. And, um, mate, they were just some of the best years of my life. And, um, yeah, it, it was interesting in that I was doing the thing that I loved the most and doing it as a living and doing it as something that you would never thought when you were at school that that could be your job. And, uh, um, yeah, that was sort of amazing times. And, you know, to think back now um, on a sport that doesn't get any profile, is not on television now, you, you wouldn't know who the names are in that sport compared to back in my day. I'm very, very fortunate to to have been in the right place at the right time, won the first ever professional Ironman race and, and got the best of it. So, um, yeah, they were good times. They really were. Mm. And in terms of, um, you know, you competed in world Ironmans and world surf skis and this sort of thing. How did you used to overcome though, that, that mental battle? Because you know, I've done, you know, nothing compared to what you've done. Like I've done Cinder Bays, which is 12 Ks, and you sort of get to those last couple of Ks and your body's just aching, but you just push through it because you want to beat your first or best. And, you know, do whatever you can. Um, but how did you sort of overcome those those pain barriers, guy? Mate, there's. Um, I think the first thing is that when you're a professional athlete and you are at the highest level of what you do, and you're trying to win and you're trying to be the best in the world, there's a 
it's a different animal compared to other people. So the first thing is that you're dealing with the, the elite of the elite. And at that level, um, yeah, everyone's doing lots of training. Um, everyone's talented at what they do. Um, everyone wants to win to a level, to a degree. And, mate, then you get those 1% in there that separate the, the great, you know, compared to the greatest. And so, you know, at that, at that sort of, you know, when you're dealing at that sort of point, um, you know, that will to win is just a little bit greater in, in, in those amazing athletes that you find. And they're the ones that can lift that little bit more under pressure. Um, and they can make the right decisions at the right time uh, more often than than the rest of the field. So, you know, you, it's interesting because, you know, I get asked this question a lot. And then when you're, when you're younger and you're in the, the thick of it, you don't really think about sort of that, sub, you know, that, that sort of trying to work out what it is. You're just doing what you're doing. But for me, I was willing to go and, you know, when you start talking about uncomfortableness and hurting in a race and what the difference is like there was never a moment during my career at that time where pain came into um the you know questioning the amount of pain you were going through there was never a question of i need to sort of slow down because it hurts um like the average person and and i think that's because when you're dealing at that level you love what you do that much and it's your job and um, you're just willing to go and do what you need to do to try to put your best performance in. So I, I can, if you said to me now, oh, look, we're going to go do a fun run and do a bit of, a bit of training for it. And it's going to be a bit of a laugh and you and I do and do two months of training and we line up. Well, mate, it's a different situation now, you know, cause I don't care about it as much. And do I want to beat you? Yeah, I want to beat you, but will I, will I go and, try race myself into hospital, which I've done in races in the past. No, no, I'll, I'll back off. So you're dealing with a different animal. You really are. Yeah. Yeah. No, very interesting. Um, mate, I mentioned before that as a kid, I used to love the young Toby super series. I want to tell you about a funny story. Um, so I was actually, uh, I was team Guy Lakes. My brother was team Trevor Hendy. And this is a true story. Um, we used to actually, do races. we had, we had, we had, a, we had a pool and, uh, we'd actually do a race me and my brother. So, We'd have, uh, we'd have the, the swim, we'd have the run, which was a run around the block. And this is the best part. We had inflatable bananas, which were, uh, which were the board leg. <laughs> we'd actually do races competing against each other. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> but no, we Mate, yeah, the, fun, the funny thing is I've had, I've had a number of interviews over the years. And, and no joke, what you've said has been exactly what um, I've been told in that I mean, I had a brother or my, my mate down the road. Mate, I was Team Leachy and he was Team Team Hendy. And, mate, we used to go at it. And, and I, what I always used to say, which I'll say to you, is, mate, I hope you beat your brother more often than, uh, than he beat you. Yeah. <laughs> well, he used to cheat a bit. It's like, you know, he'd win, but he'd do dodgies and, like, you know, cut, cut a corner somewhere or something like that. So, yeah, he, he didn't want to lose my brother. Any sport we play, he'd always um, try and win whatever he whatever way he could. So even for board games, like that's <laughs> just one of those um, competitive things. But no, good times. Hey, um, but they were fun, they were funny times because we when we used to rock down to the beach on those big races where you'd be a Bondi and it was school holidays or down at Portsea in Victoria, and you had twenty five thousand people 
or more on the beach on a summer's day and the race was there and it was promoted and you had helicopters filming in the air and you had the cameras on, it was on live on television on channel 10. Uh, you'd rock down to the beach and there'd be like this, this camp of uh, 300 people that all had Trevor Hendy tops on and, you know, like, and, you know, written in zinc on their, you know, on their, you know, their tops or whatever. And you had this, this leachy fan base over there and it was, you'd rock down the beach and it was like, you're thinking, mate, can you believe this is what actually happening? So yeah, it, that, they were unbelievable times. And it, it, I feel sorry for, you know, the athletes now that, you know, in, in my sport that just didn't get that opportunity to live through that because, you know, unless you saw it, unless you, unless you witnessed it like you did, um, you, you tell these stories and people don't believe you, they don't realise the hype and the, just that, that emotion that was involved, you know, back in those days with just how big it was and how, how electric it was to rock down to a, a given beach like Glenelg Beach in Adelaide. And you had, you know, 15, 20,000 people lining that, that boardwalk there and, and on the sand watching us race. It was just, they were good times, yeah. Yeah, what do you think's happened? Actually, it's um, funny you mention that because my, um, my mother-in-law actually wants to know, Guy, what's happened in terms of why it's not on TV anymore? Because it is a real change. Mate, sport comes down to money. And, um, you know, like, you know, there's a difference between NRL, uh, the AFL, and, and your smaller sports because, you know, they can justify, you know, TV rights and get money for, you know, what station they're on. Um, and then they take that money and they can use that as a business to promote what they're doing in the light. The difference between that and other sports like your netballs and, you know, your Ironman back in the day was, mate, you needed corporate Australia to write the cheque to get you on television. So it was a completely different type of business model. So you needed an Uncle Toby's to say, mate, we're going to throw our marketing dollars into Iron Man because we want to sell more product on the shelf in Coles and Woolworths. And we're going to use them as the vehicle to go and do that. So we'll write a check for $3 million or whatever it was. And that $3 million would then go and pay for time on television to go and put the cameras there and the production company and pay the athletes and all the rest of it and have the prize money there to then go and leverage what they were doing, which got us on television. And then notwithstanding, then Uncle Toby's would then say, mate, we'll take Guy Leach and we'll make him the, you know, the porridge guy and we'll use him on the front, um, you know, the front of the packs to promote selling porridge and we'll use Trevor Hendy to, to be the Vitabrits guy to sell Vitabrits in the stores. And so it was a, a full program that ran that made me more famous because I was on television, on TV commercials, which then got you watching it because it was part of that whole, that whole promotion. So, mate, that ended when Uncle Toby's, after 20 years' involvement, said, we're not going to write that check anymore. We're going to put our marketing dollars into something else. And so because of that, then, you know, no one else fronted up and 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 the problem back then was that when grand kenny retired when i retired and trevor retired mate they were the three biggest names in the sport at the time and the, and there wasn't this um this next guard coming in with the same massive profile that we had which was the first thing the second thing is was uh, was that you know uncle toby said you know we'll, we'll go a different direction now 
And because they did such a good job, as you said, oh, oh what's the Uncle Toby series? Well, it wasn't the Iron Man series promoted by Uncle Toby's. You called it by Uncle Toby's. Hey, they were that good at the marketing of what they did. What other company was going to come in and chuck $3 million into a series that you called the Uncle Toby series? It was a generic name. They literally were that good at what they did that it was, it was done and buried. So they tried to go and get those dollars back in through other companies. And other companies said, well, it's going to take us 10 years to wash off the Uncle Toby's name to get our name front and center on that product. And that, that's sort of your answer. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Had a couple of other questions as well. Um, one of my friends, Kim Allen, asked, guy, asked you, Guy, um, in terms of whether you're still involved in the sport and mentoring athletes at all. Yeah, so I, I do come in now and then and um, and help out. I don't have like a training group of of athletes that I work with, but but notwithstanding, I will come in and 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 mentor uh, a young a young guy or girl that's involved in the sport. When I'm interstate, one of the coaches will who I know that I I probably raced against, like the likes of you know, Darren Mercer or Phil Clayton or those sort of guys. I'll come in and and go and do a talk to their squad and, and give input and feedback into what they're doing. Um, I talk to the coaches, um, you know, regularly and give my two bobs worth into, you know, you know how they do it without sort of lecturing, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, so I'm still involved in that part of the whole thing. Um, I take an interest in, in the sport and... But I love the sport. It has been such a big part of my life. And, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now with you and being able to promote the defib side of what I do now if it wasn't for Ironman and, and what it gave me. So I'm, I'm very thankful for the sport. I'm very thankful for just the amount of, you know, rewards I've got from it, which, mate, I still get today. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, it, um, I'm always happy to help. And, mate, if someone asks for help, and I'm always happy to go and uh, and and you know and, and, and jump on board. And Ryan Bridges, uh, who's actually from Gore, and you guys raced at Gore back in the day, because he's also a huge fan of the Uncoded Super Series. And um, he asked what it was like being involved in the big surf like Port Sea and over there in New Zealand. Uh, I think it was Pihar. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, Pihar. Yeah. Yeah. Look, mate. Um, look, it, it, it's you know the peanut or little dog, mate. Going off. <laughs> I've got solar paneling going on the roof right now. There's, um, there's work going on around us. The, um, it, look, I don't think anyone in our sport, right, like the, the guys and girls that did it, as far as the ocean went, were the best of what they did. You know, if you wanted to swim out through 15-foot surf and get rescued, mate, you wanted, you wanted the crew that did our sport to be the ones that were going to get you because they'd get to you quicker and, mate, you had the best chance of getting saved. So notwithstanding going to Portia or PR when it was like the size of, you know, five, seven-storey buildings um, on those given days, um, mate, the athletes that went out to paddle a board out, swim out and take a surf ski and get it out were the best of what they did. But in saying that, mate, having lined up for those races, you, you were nervy about what you had to go and do. Because there's, there's, there was two parts to those days that you, you faced. One was that you were trying to win and you were trying to get around the course, which was, you know, 16 kilometres worth of going in and out through the surf or whatever it was. 
uh, on that day over two hours that was filmed that you'd saw on television. Um, you were trying to win, right? And you were trying to win because it was prize money and you're competitive and it's the series and you want to be the best. But then the other part of you is like, I don't need an 18 kilogram surf ski that one of the boys in front of me who loses their ski that gets washed back in on the white water that's 15 foot high hitting me because I might, I might die, you know? And so you, you're in two minds. It's different to when I rock down the beach at Manly and the surf's two to three foot and, you know, I'm going out there and, mate, there is no regard whatsoever for, for two, three, four or five foot surf that's going to hurt me, right? Other than I don't want to make a mistake and lose my craft because I want to win. When the surf gets as big as what it did at Portsy and PR um, on those given days, mate, there's an element of thinking I need to protect my life in some ways, but I also need to go really fast as well. So you, 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 you've got this sort of this internal battle going on. So you're a little bit nervy about it, but, um, but yeah, so, but the ones going out that were doing it were the best of what they were doing. So, you know, you, you hedged your bets and knew that you were going to be reasonably safe because of it. And finally, uh, three famous people you'd like to go and have dinner with, Guy, who would they be? But I, I always had a always had a liking to um, to Michael Jordan, and we had that we've just had that Netflix series on him and the Chicago Bulls. I I, I had a chance to play golf with him years ago. I my lawyer at the time was was um was the uh, lawyer for the Packers, and they were doing a um, a golf um, you know building a golf course overseas that um. The Shah Greg Norman was involved in, um, and, and Michael Jordan was um, for some reason was part of that. And so I got rang up, rang up by my my lawyer saying, "Leachy, if you can get over to Florida in two weeks' time, mate, I've lined up a game of golf for you with Michael Jordan, mate, the Shark, and, and Jamie Packer." Oh. And um, so I'm like, and it was right during the Ironman series, and it was ironic that it that week that that game fell on the on like the the weekend that wasn't a race, and I was it was there were races each each day each week in between. So I said I'm in. I'll get a, I'll get a flight. I'll get over to Florida because I wanted to play golf with um with Michael Jordan, right? And I had the shark there as well, and and I knew Jamie anyway, so it was all nice and neat. And you wouldn't believe it, right? The um, mate, the week the week of us going over there, Greg Norman was ranked number one in the world at the time, you know, on the golf rankings, and he was playing the tournament over in the states. And he had a he had a shot where the ball was in the rough. It was right next to sort of this this tree where he was hitting the shot. He had a shot. He hit the ball, and underneath the ball was was like a root from the tree that you couldn't see properly. And he jammed his his um his club into that, and it sprained his wrist. And mate, he got injured, and it was out for like a month. Oh, Couldn't no. play, so the, the, game, the game got cancelled. Oh no! I was just like, my goodness, I couldn't. So anyway, so I like, so yeah, so I'd, I'd so he'd be, I'd, I'd like, I'd like Jordan there. It, that, that would be good fun. But I'd love to, I'd love to to, to chat to to Nelson Mandela, just on his life because you know he um. 
just what he he went through. It would be fascinating to 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 meet him. One of my mates has met him and reckons he's just a good bloke. That's he's got good stories and good good insights. So I'd like to meet him. And you know, I just I wouldn't mind. Um, years ago when um when Tiger Woods uh, first turned professional, I I went to dinner with Tiger. Um, uh, in Sydney with uh, with because my management group was the same group that managed him, so I went to dinner with him um, and um, you know had a few beers and you know he was sort of just starting off his career and as we know he's like he's he could write ten books on Tiger with all the ups and downs and the like of what's gone on so I wouldn't mind catching up with him again and uh, and, and shooting the breeze so mate that'd be the three yeah. No, you've done well. I can agree with those for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Guy Leach, uh, mate, well done on everything you've done in your career so far and, and also Heart 180. As I mentioned earlier, I'll definitely get that out there and, and give as much promotion as we can for such a very important uh, program you're involved in. Thanks for taking the time to have a chat. This has been an absolute blast and we'll hopefully speak again soon, mate. Thank, thanks, Bebo, mate. It's just good to know that you were uh, on Team Leachy back in the day, mate, around the Sydney Absolutely. Well done, well done <laughs> mate. Well done. As always, mate. Take care. Speak to you soon. All right, buddy. Thank you, mate. Bye. Bye.